Well, this evening we're looking at Psalm 124 in our series on the Psalms of the of Ascents. I'll read the, uh, the first seven verses, then maybe if we can join in together to read the final verse, verse 8. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Say together. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. On our recent uh, holiday in the Spanish uh, Pyrenees, we decided as a family to um, go whitewater rafting. Didn't any, whether anybody have done that? Um, we were given a safety drill in Spanish, which I um, tried to translate into English for the rest of the family, but uh, not too well. Um, fortunately, we did end up with a guy who spoke some uh, English, but um, at least he was able to say forward, uh, back, stop. Um, it was a bit tricky when he had a, a right forward, left back, so it was a sort of which side of the boat I'm on now. Um, but then came the moment when the guide asked us whether we would like to um, go for a little swim down one of the rapids. And that seemed like a good moment, good idea in the moment. Um, but there was a time of just a little language confusion, and I think what was meant to be Liz and I swimming down the racket, rapids turned out to be the whole family. And we found ourselves going down. And the first thing we realised when you go down rapids is you can't swim down rapids. You, uh, you have no control over where you're going. You have to float. You've got your life jacket on. Um, you have to put your legs forward first in case you hit your head against a rock. Um, and so for, for poor old Zach, it probably wasn't the uh, most enjoyable experience of the holiday. And um, for me, and Liz panicking about our children, it probably wasn't the best either. Um, but nevertheless, once we were back in the safety of the boat, there was a huge sense of relief. And uh, we were able to have a good joke about it. Of course, with Ben and Joe, it was, uh, wasn't a problem. Um, I could have used a different example from our holiday, the moment when we found ourselves on the wrong side of the road in France with traffic coming straight towards us. We... Um, I'm sure we've all had experiences of relief from those split-second moments of physical danger or maybe those prolonged periods of suffering which we eventually come through with the Lord's help. Psalm 124 doesn't actually take very long to read and we could read it and quickly conclude that, um, you know, if God is on your side, then you'll be okay and move on to the next psalm. But as with many of the psalms, they're not meant to be short doctrinal statements. They are poems. They are full of emotion. And this one is no different. This one is full of the horror of helplessness and the relief of rescue. This is not written by someone who has read about the fact that God is with us and protects us. It's written by someone who's had first-hand experience of the Lord's deliverance. Somebody who knows what it's like to be up against something that is powerful 
and frightening, against which he feels totally helpless. This was written by someone who himself has escaped death on many occasions, King David. You may recall how David's predecessor, King Saul, saw him as a threat to the throne and how he pursued him, relentlessly trying to kill him. One Samuel tells us how he stayed in the hills of the desert and kept moving from place to place. But it also tells us that God did not give David into Saul's hands. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David and it says he helped him to find strength in God. It's easy in hindsight to look back and thank God for his help and his strength, but when we are in the middle of trouble, it's much more difficult, isn't it? Let's just take a look back at uh, 1 Samuel, at the story that was uh, read out to us. That um, story at the end of uh, 1 Samuel, in chapter 31, verse 1, we see here the Philistines routing the Israelite army. Look at it now. The Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them. Many fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Philistines pressed hard after Saul and his sons and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab and Malkishua. Fighting grew fierce around Saul and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically and he ends up, as we read, dying. It's a terrible defeat for the Israelites and it's a defeat that leads to David assuming the throne eventually. And then, so as we go to chapter 5 in 2 Samuel, What we have here is the Philistines, it says, heard that David had been anointed king over Israel and they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. This is a a terrifying army. It forces David to, um, to go to the stronghold, a bit like a prime minister going to the nuclear bunker in the threat of war. And we're told that the The army comes and spreads out in the Valley of Rephaim, ready to attack. These are real-life contexts in which David is writing this psalm. And the first point I think he is conveying in the psalm is, as I said, the horror of helplessness as we go back to Psalm 124. And there are three images that David uses to describe this, this horror. The first of those is an angry mob. It says, when men attacked us, verse 2, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. Human anger is a frightening thing, isn't it? It can turn somebody who seems quite normal into somebody quite unrecognisable. A placid character into a quite wild beast. Maybe some here who've had personal experience of that, even they're in their own homes, or have they know those who are prone to serious bouts of anger. It doesn't have to be physical aggression, it can also be verbal aggression that can be just as frightening. It's often alcohol-induced, maybe triggered by the smallest thing. I remember as a treat teenager going out for a coffee with some friends and this guy following us out of the, uh, the cafe and completely unprovoked picking a fight with us. I can remember being at football matches and seeing angry mobs, people finding comfort and being together with others and just going out looking for a fight. And when their team had lost, somehow the anger overwhelming them. 
We mentioned David's experience of an army of Philistines spread out across the valley, lining up for battle. Soldiers armed to the hilt, ready for hand-to-hand conflict. I think these days we can get an idea of that from films, can't we? The technology is so lifelike and realistic these days that um, when we watch battle scenes in films like Gladiator or Braveheart or Lord of the Rings, gives us something of what it must have been like. I think even more frightening, they must have been um, being a soldier involved in the D-Day landings. If you've seen Saving Private Ryan, the opening scenes of that film. What it must be like to go over the trenches in the First World War, being mowed down by machine gun fire like helpless animals. As Christians, we will from time to time face angry people. It may not be physical or verbal May not be physical aggression, but it will often be verbal aggression. The question I often wrestle with is why are Christians often the objects of people's anger? You know, why does the Christian faith provoke such strong feelings amongst some people? What always often surprises me about um, Richard Dawkins, for example, his criticism of Christianity is the vehemence with which he attacks people of faith. People who, however imperfectly they may try to live out their faith, still believe that the most important thing is to love God and love their neighbour as themselves. We haven't got time to explore this evening the various reasons that might make people hostile towards Christians, but often the strength of feeling is related to maybe a concern that, what if these Christians are right? What if I have got it wrong? What if I do have to face God one day? What would I say to him? You wonder about the opposition here with the building project. Is it just to do with the parking and the design? Or is there another opposition here? Was the image of the angry mob. The second image is that of torrential waters. So we look at verse 4. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. I mentioned our experience going down the rapids. First week of our holiday, we were on the beach doing a bit of bodyboarding in the surf. And some of those waves were pretty strong. And there were times when they took you under and they churned you up. And again, there's a feeling of complete helplessness. Or even just trying to swim and the currents, the strong currents, taking you in a direction you don't want to go. Of course, that was nothing compared to what the people of Pakistan have experienced recently with total homes, livestock, even members of their families swept away by raging waters. This image conveys a complete powerlessness against a much stronger force. However hard you fight against it, you won't overcome it. Torrential waters. Third image is that of the plight of a bird caught in a fowler's snare, which you read in verses 7 to 8. It's done in a a literary form called a chiasm, which involves repeating the image with a a sort of mirror effect to add the impact. Just look at verse 7 and 8. We've escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken, and we have escaped. The bird has been caught, it's been held in captivity, It's obviously afraid of what might happen to it at any moment. But finally, it's escaped. Taking hostage 
of a busload of passengers in the Philippines this week was viewed by millions of people worldwide. It reminded me of a similar situation a few years ago when we were in Brazil, again, with a bus live on TV. And I guess the, the sort of almost a morbid fascination that people have is putting yourself in that situation, thinking, what would you do if you were held hostage? What feelings would you have if you were at the mercy of a, a madman with a gun, not knowing whether rescue would come? Would you panic? Would you remain calm? Would you be a bit of a hero? Would you do something reckless? The other news story we saw this week on the images was that of the miners trapped in the the mine, thousands of feet underground, where they're likely to be for a few months until rescuers can bore down a shaft to, to get them out. They're not at the mercy of a person, but they are at the risk of illness or flooding or collapse of the mine. To be trapped in a confined space is a horrible feeling, isn't it? It's the stuff of nightmares. I don't know. Maybe I'm just uh, slightly uh, claustrophobic, but I would just hate that. But what all these three images have in common is that of helplessness. In each case, there's a sense of what can I do about this? But where they're leading to is the, the second emotion that is conveyed by this psalm, and that is of the relief of rescue when it comes. Look at the tense here used in this psalm. They would have swallowed us alive. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. But they didn't. Why? Because the Lord was on our side. Praise to the Lord who did not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped. When danger passes, it is followed by that that huge sense of relief. We also witnessed a a rescue on on holiday, or a helicopter rescue. A couple of swimmers got caught out and were taken out away from the shore, couldn't get back. And uh, they're being buffeted by these these, these big waves the whole time. Um, A couple of lifeguards swam out. Um, Helicopter came, dropped another one in. And uh, they were winched up into the, the helicopter and carried over and put on dry land. And think of the relief that they would have felt after they escaped alive from that situation. Think of the relief the um, hostages in that coach would have sensed escaping. We do pray that those miners in Chile would experience that same sense of relief. But what was it that gave David this sense of relief? Let's turn back again to 2 Samuel chapter 5. And uh, let's pick it up again at verse 18. It says, The Philistines have come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord answered him, Go, for I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. So David went to Baal-perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal-perazim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. It wasn't the end, though, was it? They came again. Once more the Philistines came up and spread out in the Valley of Rephaim. It's a relentless pursuit 
So David inquired of the Lord again, and he answered, Do not go straight up, but circle round behind them, attack them in front of the balsam trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Giza. This was the mighty Philistine army that had killed King Saul, that had routed the Israelite army. How could David know the same thing wouldn't happen to him? How did he know before we went into battle? What was the key to his success? Well, it's in that short phrase, David inquired of the Lord. Both times David sought help from the Lord. And the Lord confirmed to David that he would win the battle. How would he win the battle? Because the Lord, it says, handed over the Philistines to him. It's an amazing phrase, isn't it? The Lord handed them over to him, just like that. This is a tough, ferocious army who are ready for battle, who know how dangerous David could be, and they need to eliminate him as a risk. They're out for him. They've won the previous battle against the Israelites. They are full of confidence. And yet the Lord handed them over to David. How was he able to do that? Well, the answer is in the last verse of Psalm 124. The verse that we read together. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord, that covenant God who's true to his promises, the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord Almighty, the one who made us in the first place, the one who controls our lives. The Lord who is able to to, to defeat the Philistines. If the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when men attacked us, this is just men attacking. On David's side is the creator God, the God of the universe. What match are the Philistines against him? It's an unequal contrast, isn't it? The almighty king of the universe, the eternal God, and finite man. He hands them over like taking a handful of sand, saying, here you are. Well, this psalm is a psalm of ascent. As we've learned already in the series, the psalms of ascent were used by pilgrims going up to Jerusalem. And the Jews would have related to them in different ways at different times. I think the Jews coming out of exile in Babylon, for example, going to the the rebuilt temple, would have been able to relate to that sense of rescue in a different way. How do we apply this to us today? But when we think of how the the New Testament most commonly uses the image of being trapped, being held captive, being being helpless, it's in relation to sin and the devil. If you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, page 1196. Paul writing to Timothy talks about the Lord's servant needing to be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. And it says in verse 25, those who oppose him he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. 
But even when, as we know, if we are Christians here this evening, when we are released from the, the devil's trap, he still has a sway over us, isn't he? You know, we learnt from the recent series in Romans about that. Paul writes in, in Romans 7, he writes, For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. And that prompts him to cry out, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so if the Jews were able to use this psalm to remember the ways in which God had physically rescued them as a people, as he'd kept them safe, then how much more can we, having been rescued from sin through Jesus Christ, be able to use this to remember God's deliverance, his salvation for us? And the question I just want to throw out to you is, do we have that same sense of relief, that same emotion of joy, and our deliverance from sin. Are we aware of the magnitude of what that means to us? Do we look back at our our lives before we became Christians, when we were drowning in sin? When we were overwhelmed by our own selfish desires? When the devil had us in his clutches? And do we say, phew, I was was a god of there, I'd had it. I was on my way to hell. But Jesus rescued me. Hallelujah. Do we appreciate just how helpless that situation was for us without the Lord's help? That the raging waters would have swept us away had it not been for the Lord. Or maybe you are still somebody who's in that situation, somebody who has yet to accept the Lord's forgiveness. Maybe you can think you can get through life's problems on your own. As the Beatles said, with a little help from my friends. That would be to underestimate just how serious our problem is. It's far higher than trying to rescue 33 miners trapped underground because our problem is a spiritual problem. It affects our eternal future. And coming to faith involves accepting the helplessness of that situation that we can do nothing about it in our own strength. It's accepting that Jesus Christ is the only person who can rescue us. This psalm is a psalm of two very strong emotions. The horror of helplessness, but the relief of rescue. And often we treat, I think, our salvation very, very matter-of-factly, don't we? But allow that full impact of your salvation to overwhelm you. It doesn't mean that there won't be times when you do feel like you're swimming against the current, that the trials of this life are overwhelming you. Maybe that's you this evening, wondering when that rescue helicopter will come along and pluck you out of those raging waters. When Zach was going down the rapids, he probably had no idea what was going to happen, how many rocks he might hit on the way down, how many times he might get a taken under the water. But I hope he knew that I was there with him and that I wouldn't let him go. Because when we belong to God, when we have him on our side, we will still be attacked. We will still find ourselves in raging waters. We will still have the devil trying to trap us. But God won't let us be swept away. Ask him for strength, just as David did. Trust in him. 
and he will provide what you need. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth.